Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there. I'm Natasha Daniels, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about how anxiety affects our kids' eating. And I'm not talking about just picky eating. I'm talking about major eating issues that cause a huge amount of worry. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So there are some major things that anxiety affects that we all need to survive. And that is eating and sleeping and going to school. And I've covered going to school in episode seven, and I covered sleep issues in episode 10, although I'm sure we'll revisit those many, many times in the future. Now I want to talk to you about eating because those three things are kind of critical to be a human being. And those are the ones that really freak us parents out, right? Because if our kids can't eat, sleep, and go to school, then they're pretty much not gonna be able to do anything in life. So that's what I think normally brings out the parental anxiety. And I'm speaking about this from complete experience, unfortunately. I feel like I always say that. So let's get started with how anxiety affects kids eating. For starters, this is something that parents don't miss because picky eaters are noticed. So the other stuff that we've talked about in the past in other episodes, you know, they fly under the radar really easily. And sometimes parents miss this, but picky eating isn't missed. Sometimes the anxiety component of picky eating is missed and that's too bad because I feel like we can do a lot of damage before we realize, okay, this is an anxiety issue and we need to approach this in a different sort of way. For starters, people don't get anxiety related eating issues. This drives me up the wall, but I guess I can't blame people because, you know, unless you eat, live and breathe it, or you work with it, I guess maybe you'd be clueless. So I have, as you know, if you listen to me at all, I have three kids, love to talk about them <laughs> and love to talk about me. No, not really. I think it's just easier. I try to, I try to keep my, um, my practice and the families that I work with and their stories a little bit more confidential. And so I share my own stories to protect the confidentiality of the families that I work with. So that's, that's a big part of why I always talk about me because <laughs> I'm completely not narcissistic. And I also think it's good for you to hear my own struggles and my own family life, because sometimes it's good to hear that a child therapist is struggling just as much as you are and is dealing with this stuff just as much as you are and that we're all human. And, you know, anxiety is, it's an uphill battle sometimes even if you have all the degrees in the world and all the education in the world, guess what? It's still hard. <laughs> so out of my three children, two have had major eating issues. One is happening currently, which is probably why I'm doing this podcast, because I try to pick up themes that either are being discussed in my private Facebook group, which by the way, if you're not part of, you should totally be in that private Facebook group because that is an awesome group and there are amazing parents in there and we are talking about things every day. So if you haven't already join us, it's AT parenting anxious kids on Facebook. You can Facebook search it or go to my website, anxious toddlers.com 
And I have a link at the very bottom of my website that has a little button called Facebook private group, or I'll just leave a link in the show notes and then you can just be lazy and click that. So come on over there. But anyway, I normally get topics from, you know, what are the pain points in that private Facebook group? Or a lot of times people will email me privately or they'll message me privately and they'll tell me, Hey, I'm struggling with this. And, you know, every week in my private practice, I am flooded with issues and problems related to anxiety. So I get a lot of ideas of what are the norms as far as what people are struggling with. But I also like to bring up topics that are dear to my heart and that are, you know, an issue that I'm suffering with as well, so that I can be a little bit more passionate in my discussion about it. And this one I am super passionate about. So my daughter, who's 13 now, had major feeding issues. And they started at birth. She had like the most severe eating issues. And they were predominantly related to sensory issues. And we'll we'll talk about that. I'm just trying to give you like a summary of the struggles of Natasha. So she had a feeding therapist. She was failure to thrive. It was a nightmare. Moving on. She's fine. She's 13. We'll talk about how I got her to that point. Now I have a seven-year-old boy and his current anxiety theme. We have a few of them, but for this episode, he is having struggles with eating. It's gotten really, really bad and really, really concerning. And so I will weave his story throughout this episode as well as my daughter's. So The first thing I want to say is that people don't get this. They give really bad advice. And I know this from experience because I got really bad advice from multiple pediatricians who would often tell me, you know, don't worry about it. They'd have a very wait and see kind of mentality about it. The first pediatrician, which was like 10 years ago, maybe even longer, maybe 11 years ago, He was a great pediatrician and I loved him, but he was an older man. And he said, you know, children won't starve to death and she will eat something. And he advised me to just put some Chinese food on her high chair and she's going to eat eventually or don't feed her. And eventually she's going to get hungry and she will eat. That was horrible advice because she didn't eat and she dropped off the growth chart and became failure to thrive and became a major health issue. So be aware that, you know, not everybody knows everything, even if they're professional, because just recently with my seven-year-old, there's a big age gap between 13 and seven, totally different pediatrician, a young guy. And I went in there and we were just doing a annual exam. And I mentioned, I don't even know why I mentioned it. I just, you know, he said, oh, you know, he's really underweight for his age. We'll keep an eye out. And I said, yeah, he's a really picky eater. He has some anxiety around food. And his response was, you know, what my mom used to do is she would save my dinner and she would feed it to me for breakfast. And he said, you know, sometimes I don't know why we, you know, coddle our kids or we cater to them. You know, if we just drew a line, I think kids wouldn't be picky eaters. Well, obviously he has no clue about anxiety. It's so frustrating because that's really bad advice and it's, it's totally incorrect. So I have to bite my tongue a lot of times. So I'm going on a tangent because I want you to know that not everybody's going to understand this anxiety related picky eating. And even when I read like picky eating books or when I read picky eating blog articles on the web, 
I often cringe at the advice that's given because it doesn't address the anxiety at all. Talks about like hiding vegetables and food and, you know, a lot of things that don't address the actual issue of the anxiety, which is what I eat, live and breathe. No pun intended. So I'm going to talk to you through a child therapist perspective. Now, I just want to give a little caveat on this entire episode that this is not obviously medical advice. Go to your pediatrician. Hopefully they're better than the ones that I have found. I know there's some really good ones out there and get some advice. Even better, go to a feeding therapist. And if you don't know if there's one in your area, just Google it because there is a thing called feeding therapists and they're good. They know what they're talking about and they can give you some really good advice. Normally they're like speech therapists with a a specialization in feeding. It's not my world. I'm going to address just the child therapist component of this issue. And just as a parent talking to you, parent to parent, my own experience and some of the things that worked in my family. But again, that's not medical advice. And I should say that for every episode, because even though that seems completely obvious to me, I should probably say that. So there you go. I said it this time. I'm going to break it down. There are four areas that tend to be the origin of anxiety related feeding issues. And we're not talking about picky eating like, hey, my kid just likes mac and cheese and chicken nuggets. We're talking about some pretty big anxiety around eating. So if your child is over three or maybe over five and they only have a handful of foods that they will eat, that's pretty extreme and that's beyond picky eating. If your child is two or three and they'll only eat chicken nuggets, goldfish, pizza, and what's applesauce, you know, that's kind of normal, you know, there's a period of time that picky eating is completely normal. So I'm not talking about those kids. I'm talking about kids that go way beyond that. So the four areas that I tend to see in my practice and in my house are oral defensiveness, fancy name for kind of like to sensory issues. And we're going to go into that. And I break it down a little bit more into a fear of texture and then fear of taste. And these are kind of progressing as kids get older. And then the last one is OCD or anxiety issues that are centered around food. So we've got oral defensiveness, fear of texture, fear of taste, and then OCD anxiety beliefs around food. So the first step you want to do, no matter where the origin of the issue is, is make a list of go-to foods with your child. I'm telling you this because a lot of parents will come to me and they'll say, my child will literally only eat like three things. And then we make a list. And typically that list is actually longer than you think. And I know this from my own experience with my kids, like right now with my son, who's seven, I would say, okay, the only thing that he really will eat, and this is going to sound totally bizarre, but let's go there, right? He will only eat. Okay. I have to be kind of quiet because he's in the other room (laughs) eating some bizarre food. Um, He will only eat cantaloupe pears with the skin shaved off and, um, goldfish. Those are like really his only three main foods that he will consistently eat. I mean, we're in scary territory right now. So that's why I said this episode is close to my heart. So make a list of go-to foods. Now I know if I sat there and I really explored it with him, there are other things that are, that are hit and miss that he may or may not like depending on the day and depending on the brand but I'm sure the list would go way beyond that and would give me a lot of ideas on what to feed him 
because he does like, this is going to sound really weird again. He does like water chestnuts. <laughs> I have the weirdest kid right now. So if I put water chestnuts in a meal, he's more likely to eat it because the water chestnuts are there. Although there has to be soy sauce included. Yeah, it gets totally bizarre. So find your child's list of go-to foods. Even if you think you know it, sit down with them and write it all out. This will help because a lot of times as parents, when we're really paralyzed and frustrated and, and anxious about how much our kids are eating, we kind of just stick with those one to five go-to foods and we forget that we can expand it a little bit. So make a list of go-to foods. And then you'll also see that sometimes you can mix them. And, you know, if they like, you know, shredded cheese, then maybe they would like melted cheese. Maybe they like mac and cheese. Maybe they would like grilled cheese. You can kind of expand on whatever the flavor or the food is. So nothing I'm going to tell you is going to be a silver bullet answer where you're like, whoa, Natasha is brilliant. But it's all drops in the bucket that eventually fill the bucket. So in general, let's tackle the first issue, oral defensiveness, which is a sensitive mouth. And so you can kind of tell if your child's having oral defensiveness, if they gag a lot when they're eating and fear of texture, which I kind of listed out separately is completely integrated with oral defensiveness. What I did with my oldest daughter who had major sensory issues in her mouth, she would gag at, you know, at the sight of food. I mean, that's how bad it was. We took a vibrating toothbrush. I did have a feeding therapist, so I should say that first. Um, and the feeding therapist was good and showed me all the skills. And then I realized, okay, you know, I got what she was doing and I could do it myself once I understood how to do it. So sometimes a feeding therapist is a really good launching point to get some support, especially for oral defensiveness, um, fear of texture, and even fear of taste. When it gets into the OCD and anxiety thoughts that we're going to talk about in a little while, you really need a child therapist because food is just kind of how it's manifesting, but it's really an anxiety issue completely. So if you're dealing with oral defensiveness, you know, the gagging, then like with my daughter, we got her vibrating toothbrushes and vibrating toys. And even though she was older, she might've been like three, three to five was like the age for age where we were like, Oh my gosh, she's like, she could not even eat solid foods for like the first two years of her life. And so that was really scary. She had intense oral defensiveness and she wanted to eat, but every time she would eat, she would gag and she would throw up. So it was really scary. So I would take toothbrushes and I would like dip it into whipped cream and pudding. I didn't care what it was. If she would take it and she liked it, I would dip it. And I would sit her in front of the TV and I would have her like turn the vibrating toothbrush on and I would have her suck on the toothbrush as it was vibrating her mouth. And she would tolerate it because she liked the whipped cream or whatever I was putting on it. And even that was kind of hard to find. And it desensitized her mouth enough that she was able to start eating solid foods and then eventually textured foods and then eventually food <laughs> in general. And we really worked hard on it. She's 13 and she doesn't remember any of this. And she's a quasi normal eater. And I say that because she's still really picky, but she eats completely normal compared to how she did when she was a baby or a toddler. If your child has fear of texture, you want to start off with one texture type of food and then build on that. So you don't want to just give them mixed textures. You want to be aware of what textures are comfortable for them and which ones aren't. 
And you can look on online and there's a lot of articles on like sensory issues around eating and the different textures, you know, there's chewy and there's crunchy. There's food that like dissolves pretty quickly, you know, like a goldfish and there's food that sticks around like chicken, not chicken nuggets. Cause that's totally processed and it tends to disappear in the mouth quicker, but like pork chops, those things are really hard for kids a lot of times because they don't disappear. So start with one texture and really build on it and don't give them mixed textures until they feel really confident. And then just give them, you know, something that has maybe two textures and then maybe on their plate, you might have something chewy and you might have something crunchy and you kind of separate it out. I want to spend most of my time talking about the anxiety component, even though oral defensiveness in general is a really big one. That is a sensory issue and you really want to go see a feeding therapist to get some really good ideas. But the next two are the ones that are mainly more of an anxiety issue. And we're going to focus on those for the rest of this episode because it has more to do with that anxious personality and not necessarily oral defensiveness. So stay tuned. That's what's up next. You're listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more parenting support, check out Natasha's parenting e-courses on a variety of topics. Each parenting e-course includes a series of teaching videos that can be watched at your own pace. For more information, visit anxioustoddlers.com forward slash parenting hyphen videos. Okay, a lot of kids who have anxiety around food are nervous because they feel like a taste that they're not prepared for might pop up. I hear that all the time in my practice. Kids who are really picky will say, well, I'm I'm nervous because I don't know what that brand of mac and cheese is going to taste like. Or I can only have craft because the other brands taste a little wonky. Yep. I just made that. I don't know if wonky is a word, but whatever. They're pretty articulate when they get older about why they're afraid to taste new things. And it kind of makes sense. If you think about the anxious kid, the anxious kid is a planner by nature. Most of them are, and they plot and plan their entire life. They like everything predictable. They like everything to be in a routine. They like to know what's coming next. So food is pretty scary when it's unpredictable. So when you hand them this casserole with mystery meat and mystery vegetables and a mystery taste, they can't handle that. And some that are really extreme can't even handle a different brand. You know, they're like, wait a minute, this ketchup doesn't taste like the ketchup that we normally have in my house. I kid you not my son, he will only have McDonald's ranch. And that's a big deal because he won't eat anything like chicken, chicken nuggets without ranch. And I have bought four different types of ranch from Walmart and apparently they're not the McDonald's brand. <laughs> I like want to write to the McDonald's CEO and just be like, can you tell me what kind of ranch you use? And by the way, if anybody knows that, you know, just email me at anxious toddlers at yahoo.com <laughs> because we're on a hunt to find this ranch because it would make or break how much he eats because he eats things with ranch. And when we go to McDonald's, which we do probably more than we should because he'll eat McDonald's. My husband, like he hoards the ranch packets and we put them in our house, but like, there's only so much ranch you can ask for without being weird. (laughs) So I'm like, Oh, you only got two this week. And he's like, I tried, I went back and I asked for more ranch and they just gave me one more packet. (laughs) This is, this is, this is what's going on in my house. So 
a lot of times kids get nervous about how food tastes. So the best that you can do besides doing a a list of go-to foods, which helps, you want to come up with an escape plan. (laughs) I know that sounds really weird, but sit with your kids and be like, you first of all, you want to have communication with any issue that I've talked about um, at all with anxiety. I always tell parents, you know, definitely have a conversation around it. So like with my son, it did start off with him being afraid of what things will taste like. And then it, it ballooned into OCD and anxiety things. And we'll talk about that in one second, but we were open about it. We said, you know, what, what's the worst part about eating? I said to him, what's hard about eating this? And he'd say, well, I, I don't know if I'm going to like the taste. I don't know if it's going to taste okay. You know, sometimes it tastes weird in my mouth. So when you're hearing that, you know, then you know, okay, that's the core issue. But if you don't ask the right questions, or if you just assume you're going to be missing out. So definitely have communication around it and then say, okay, let's come up with an escape plan. So if you eat something that you don't like, what can you do? So empower them. And I know this sounds so simplistic and you're like, whoa, Natasha coming out with the rocket science answers. Honestly, nothing is crazy hard. Sometimes it's just the simple things in life. So provide them with a drink, whether it's milk. Milk is good because it kind of clears the palate, but some kids don't like milk. I hate milk, but you know, my son, he likes milk. And so I I put milk next to him and then I teach him. And this is so stupid. Trust me. I know this is not going to like rock your world, but I put a napkin next to him and I give him permission to spit the food in the napkin. Yeah. It's so stupid, but it actually makes him feel better. And I don't know why, but I feel like he needed the permission to say, you can spit food out. Now, my older daughter with the sensory issues, she would literally let food roll out of her mouth. It was really gross. And it was embarrassing to take her anywhere (laughs) because she would just do it anywhere. It was really embarrassing. If she didn't like it out, it came like right there. She didn't even try to like grab it. It was gross. My son who doesn't have sensory issues, he is more aware and maybe more self-conscious. He would never do that. But then I said, spit it out in your napkin. It's good for you to try things. And if you don't like the one bite, spit it out. So help your child come up with an escape plan. The next thing you want to do for fear of taste is separate your go-to food with new food. And some of what I am going to recommend is probably going to be different than what a feeding therapist would recommend because some of the stuff that the feeding therapist recommended didn't work for my kids or my daughter. We didn't have a feeding therapist. We don't have a feeding therapist for my son, but um, you have to do what works for you because everything isn't, you know, a cookie cutter, perfect answer for every family and every kid. I always put go-to food on a plate that I know he's going to eat. And then for new food, like probably what we're eating, because most of the time he doesn't eat what we like to eat for dinner and he's not being difficult. This is not like a behavioral issue. I know sometimes people and spouses will say, oh, you know, they're just being bratty or they're just being spoiled. They just want something different. No, I mean, some of these kids are completely anxiety ridden about eating. So put the new food on a different plate and that way their food is not touching. Because if you have an anxious kid who is a picky eater, guess what? They don't like their food to communicate. So if they're smushed together, that's pretty much going to ruin any chances of them touching either food. So put the new food on a separate plate. That way you can move it away because a lot of them have sensitive noses and they're not touching. So you always want to put the new food there, but don't get into food battles. The number one thing that I would say 
to anyone who's listening is do not get into food battles. You will lose. It's not worth it. You'll make it worse. So don't bribe them to eat. Don't set a timer for them to eat. Don't say you can't leave the table until you eat. Don't say you need to take one more bite or you can't go. Let them be. Because if it's anxiety related, none of those typical parenting approaches are going to work. They're actually going to make it 10 times worse because they're already anxious about eating. So you want to create a very casual environment for your child when they're eating. Casual meaning like you're not berating them or highlighting the fact that they're not eating. I want to get into the last issue that normally causes kids to not eat. And then we can continue talking about how to help them a little bit more. So some kids develop, and this is, this is the least common. That's why I saved it for last, but it's the most concerning really in my world is when it's an OCD or an anxiety thought that is causing the lack of eating. So I'll give you some examples. I'll give you some examples from my practice, and then I'll give you some examples right here at home. So I have had kids that have a fear of pooping. We did talk about that in episode 16. And some kids, and we talked about this in episode 16, some kids are smart enough that they connect the dots and realize that, you know, what goes in must come out. (laughs) And so they realize, okay, if I don't put things in my mouth, then nothing's going to come out of my butt. And they start to refuse food. That's pretty uncommon, but I have seen a few kids in my practice over the past 12 years do that. So it's worth mentioning. Um, the other one, there's a couple of other ones. So some kids get very concerned about throwing up. And so they make an, a connection with when I eat, I feel sick. If I don't eat, then I won't throw up. I won't have anything to throw up. And so sometimes there's a connection between that. I've worked with kids who had a fear of choking. And so they have decided eventually that they're just not going to eat or not eat much. I did have a girl once who went on a liquid diet because she felt like as long as she didn't have solids in her mouth, she wouldn't choke. So I'm just thinking of all the different themes that I've seen. I I think when it comes to eating, the anxiety theme is going to be pretty individualized because as you can tell, these are very individualized anxiety themes, but the end result is that kids don't eat. The OCD theme that we're dealing with at my house, so... My son went from just being kind of a, he actually was a really good eater. And then, well, I guess he, it comes and goes because I have a horrible memory, but my, luckily my husband has an awesome memory. So he's kind of like a memory for both of us. (laughs) Are you like that? It's terrible. Like I have to like refer to him. He's like my historian. So what did I eat yesterday? So we were talking about my son being a picky eater. And he said, you know, he's always been like this. And I said, no, he hasn't because he goes through periods where he eats really, really well. And he said, do you remember when he was one and a half and all he would eat was banana yogurt? And I totally forgot that because I have no memory. And I remembered that. Well, when he told me that, and we had to go to like Walmart and we would literally fill up the car with like toddler banana yogurt because that was all he would eat. He wouldn't even drink. And this went on for six months. I had to call the pediatrician and I said, can a kid survive on banana yogurt with absolutely no fluids at all and no other food? And the pediatrician was like, oh yeah, I think so. That's really weird. And I'm like, yeah, I know. This is what we're dealing with. 
And apparently, FYI, yeah, you can survive because he did. It was crazy. We had to get two shopping carts every trip because he would only eat banana yogurt. Okay, tangent, but now you see how extreme he can be. So he has developed this new OCD theme that is centered around intrusive thoughts. And so if your child has OCD and then they're not eating well, you might want to see if they're having intrusive thoughts. This is pretty rare, but it does happen. So we were sitting around eating one day and we were eating bacon. I think it was breakfast. I have no idea. And he said, innocently, it always starts out innocently, right? He said, hmm, what are we eating? And I said, bacon, isn't it delicious? Because I love bacon. And he said, bacon? No, but what what are we eating? Like, where does it come from? And then I said, naively, pig. And he said, ew, we're eating a pig. And we all kind of just laughed at it. And I think somebody even went oink, oink. (laughs) And we moved on. It was like, whatever. A week later, this is how anxiety is. It's like insidious. Like you... You don't know. You're like all casual thinking you're having a normal conversation. And then all of a sudden it like balloons into this big thing. We were eating chicken. And then he was like, what are we eating? And I was like, chicken. And he's like, you mean like chicken with the feathers, like bok bok chicken? And I said, yeah. And he was like, oh my gosh, the poor chicken. And then I was like, oh, he's really kind hearted. Okay. Well, maybe he'll be a vegetarian. And then every night it started where he was like, what are we eating? What are we eating? And then finally I was like, oh my gosh, he's having, he's having anxiety around this because initially I thought, okay, well he wants to be a vegetarian. I can become a vegetarian. I can cook vegetarian. He's an awesome, really sweet, kind hearted kid. Okay. We can deal with that. And then he started to say, um, what are we eating? And I said, carrots. And he said, carrots are carrots kind of like a plant. And I said, yeah, I guess so. You know, well, yeah, (laughs) I didn't say, I guess so. That sounds like I'm dumb. And he said, so carrots are like pulled from the ground. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, are plants alive? And so I naively was like, well, kind of, yeah. And he said, so do they feel pain when we pull them out of the ground? And I'm like, oh my gosh, he like, he got me into that corner that I didn't know I was getting into. And so he stopped eating meat. He stopped eating plants. And then apparently it even evolved to like anything like Cheetos, Cheetos, apparently, you know, there's a concern about Cheetos. I don't know. We don't even serve Cheetos. So I'm just using that as a weird example, but it ballooned outward like OCD does, and it doesn't have to make sense. And it's totally irrational, but he stopped eating everything. And now, you know, I can count on one hand how much he'll eat, which is really, really scary. And when you have a child that has an OCD or anxiety thought, you have to actually tackle the belief And it's really not about the eating in and of itself. So we did some cognitive reframing. You know, we talk a lot about that in my other podcast. And if you don't know how to help your child cognitively reframe, you know, you can take my course, which is how to teach kids to crush their anxiety. And I talk all about how to reframe your kids thinking. And there have been other episodes to talk about that. But you definitely want to reframe their thinking. So I talked to him and we talked about how this was his Mr. Bossy, because even though he has a worry cloud, we've started to incorporate Mr. Bossy, which is more of an OCD component. And Mr. Bossy is telling you to worry about this when you're eating. And we don't need to be thinking about those things when we eat. So I've started to do that. Well, for the past few months, I've started to do that. And you want to tackle your child's anxiety or OCD thoughts, whatever that may be for you. Another thing that I've used for kids in general that I want to mention before we kind of wrap up is distraction while eating. 
Now, I think diehard feeding therapists, and I could be wrong. I mean, it's been a really long time since I was in that world. That was like 12 years ago with my, my oldest daughter. A lot of times they say not to use distraction while eating. They want you to really focus on the eating and kind of tackle it. That distraction really helped. And, you know, with my oldest daughter, we would, you know, we're not really big on putting the TV or anything on. We have like family dinner. But I remember when she was little, you know, I'd play classical music and I would distract her. And then interestingly enough, last night when my son was eating, he had said to me, mom, you know, can I, can I watch, um, my iPad? He watches TV on his iPad, like totally bad mom. And we don't allow iPads at dinner because, you know, we sit down for dinner and everybody was done and he was still sitting there because like, you know, he just like takes like one bite at a time and we can't rush him because he's eating something. And he said, you know, it's really, it's better and easier when I can, I can focus on watching TV and not think about what I'm eating. And I was like, oh my gosh, why hadn't I not thought about that? Of course. So do what you need to do to get the calories in your child. Even if it kind of goes against your family rules, we have a very big family rule, no electronics. If I even bring my phone to the table because I'm looking at something, my husband will be like, phone, you know, rules apply to you too. (laughs) And I'm like, you're right. I got to model like, you know, good behavior. So, but when it comes to health issues, distraction while eating does help. It helped my son. It does help my son. And it definitely helped my daughter. The other thing that we do, and I'll just end on this because I don't want this to be like an incredibly long episode, but Uh, I make snacks available all the time. And I know, I think a lot of times feeding therapists say that's a bad thing. But for me, it wasn't about getting them hungry. Even if they were starving, they still wouldn't eat. And they would eat a lot more if they had frequent snacks and if they ate all the time. And maybe some feeding therapists would say that's an okay thing. I really don't know because that's not my world. So if you're a feeding therapist, you know, don't email me and yell at me because I really don't know. But I know what works for my family. And I put snacks on a low shelf in the cabinet and I put, um, snacks in the refrigerator and I cut up vegetables and I cut up fruit. So it was accessible at all times. My son literally lives on goldfish and it's available for him 24 seven because I want him to eat something because I'm afraid he's going to like wilt away and die. And that's probably my parental anxiety, but I am very concerned. So snacks are available at all times. And that might work for you and your kids too, because kids who are anxious will have moments where they feel like they're okay to eat. And that may not be within the three meal period of your day. And so if you put snacks out that you're okay with them eating whenever, then that would be a good thing. And if you're in the throes of picky eating, like I am like to the level that I am because of anxiety, you're not going to care as much what your child eats. You're just going to want your child to eat. And if you're like, amen, Natasha, then you are my soul sister because you know what this feels like right now. So I think I'll end on that. I hope that you're finding my podcast helpful. This is the time where I normally grovel for you to leave a review. (laughs) So if you are finding this helpful, please leave a review. Somebody did tell me that they were having a hard time leaving a review. So if you're having a hard time leaving a review, let me know. I don't know what the problem is, but The review really helps if you put it on iTunes because that's pretty much where people look at reviews and iTunes looks at reviews and that helps. So I do get emails thanking me and people leave comments in other areas. They leave comments on my website and on my private Facebook group telling me 
that my podcast is helping. And I love that because it is nice because I kind of feel like I'm talking to nobody in my office once a week, but obviously that's not true. If you can leave the review on iTunes, and I know that's kind of annoying, but I would forever love you. And that would make me really happy. It, It does. So I hope you have a wonderful upcoming week and I hope you find the sparkle in every day because otherwise, what is life about? Take care and I'll talk to you next Tuesday. Bye. Thank you for listening to AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more tips and parenting support, visit anxioustoddlers.com.